0: Welcome everyone to Business Growth On Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive, and it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Today, we have a special episode featuring Jose's recent appearance on the Lifetime at Work podcast with Greg Martin. Together, they explore the unique challenges and opportunities that define the business
1: owner's career. We hope you enjoy. Jose, welcome to the Lifetime at Work podcast.
0: My pleasure, Greg. Glad to be here.
1: Can we start just with an intro of yourself? Let us know just the high-level background and we can dive in from there.
0: Sure. At the Million Foot View, right, I'm Jose Palomino, uh, CEO and founder of Valley Prop. Um, we work with owners of B2B companies uh, that want to get off a plateau, who feel stuck and get them growing again. And we do that in a variety of ways. But big picture is I help owners grow their businesses. How
1: did you how do you have credibility here? How do you know what how do you know how to do that? First of all,
0: <laughs> well, Well, I mean, one is certainly a big part of, I think, business growth is always going to be some sort of sales awareness and marketing awareness I've done. I've been a chief marketing officer, also carried business development for large corporations over the years, and then also in the small business context. So at this point, I've worked with dozens and dozens of business owners over the last 18 years. Uh, We documented earlier this year just what were the growth numbers cumulatively for all the clients we've worked with over the last 18 years. And it's about $250 million worth of growth that we identified, helped them find and helped them actually get. So that's kind of, you know, the the credibility is just a lot of results over the years, working with a lot of owners, mostly I'd say 98% in B2B spaces. So industrial categories, professional services, any, any kind of context where there has to be a sales process at the back end is where we specialize in if it's a uh, direct to consumer uh you know pure e-commerce not that we couldn't add value there but frankly that's not mine that i love the stuff where okay and here's where the humans have to talk to other humans and make stuff happen right. that's that's where and that's where most b2b owners uh, really are in an owner-led business
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, if we take it back to start of your career, did you begin in this, or what were you initially trying no, to do no, when so you? I, uh, I had
0: a. Started. I had a kind of a bumpy road, right? So, um, my uh, my parents um, emigrated to the U.S. Uh, my well, my mother was uh, born in Puerto Rico, so she came to New York in about forty five, right at the tail end of World War II. Right. My father came from Peru probably at the end of the great depression he was born in 1905 believe it or not so my dad was 20 years older than my mom they met in like 46 yes and that's the beginning of my journey so that story the reason it's relevant is i i was uh my sisters and i were the first of our cousin generation to finish high school on time you know without a ged or going to the army or something like that so i didn't have any of those like uh, archetypes in my family that were this is how you go to college or whatever so I didn't and I just didn't know any better I just started working and uh, I was uh, really fortunate to land in a back office operations position at a company called Payneweber. it's now I think part of UBS and who knows what that's part of these days but it was a big brokerage firm in the Wall Street area I was grew, grew up in New York and uh, a guy named Jerry was my supervisor and he took me under his wing i was a temp he brought me on permanently within a year i was supervisor in the department of accountants just because i had a very strong math ability and a real yeah. sense of getting things done worked really hard and i was the being in my journey just being exposed to like business and had never really had that exposure went to a decent high school um actually a good high school but they you know most at that time they prepared you academically. They didn't really prepare you for like a career in business. Right. That was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's that way down the line, right? Yeah, way <laughs> down the line. Who thought about that? <clears throat> and uh, and college was a thought, but not not like today, where kids like in many cases, it's the expectation is you're going to go to college. It wasn't necessarily a lock that way. So anyway, that led me to start working on a lot of information. Uh, reporting and things like that. I kind of developed an interest in IT. And then I started my first business. They had no business starting a business. Didn't know anything about anything, but got a partner together. We started something and it led me to buy. And I'll tell you what the business is in a little bit, but it led me to buy an original IBM PC. And through that, I had to learn how to program. So I taught myself how to program, learn how, all about PC. When, when that was a rare right. bit of knowledge at that point and uh, that business failed but from that from the ashes of that i started doing computer consulting for small businesses and so i started just developing that ability that facility understanding how things flow built accounting systems for you know totally from scratch because that's what the company needed again all the stuff that we take for granted now package software and instant cloud-based this and instant cloud-based that that just didn't exist back then and so that was my early career Um, at some point I realized I needed exposure to bigger opportunities to learn more. And I ended up working at the American stock exchange down in New York, uh, New York city. That's the little cousin or little sister to, uh, the New York stock exchange, but still big it. And ironically, I wanted to learn big systems, no one there understood PCs or networking because they had all worked on mainframes and mini computers and so on. And so I got a lot of exposure and education there and then eventually and this is i'll stop my story here i ended up getting recruited to work for a company it's now part of uh Packard. packard was called tandem computers it was one of the founding fathers of the silicon valley in cupertino at the time i joined it it had just had two billion dollars in revenue it was a fortune 200 company and for five years i was trained relentlessly i learned i was on the technical side supporting sales And then I was given a chance to actually carry a territory myself. And I moved into sales in New York with the international banks. And that's why I learned, that's why I I saw my first million dollar deal. It was that kind of exposure. So that's just, you know, the early part of the career that got me launched uh, into doing stuff, but really needing to kind of figure things out and really bootstrap a lot of my self-education. And, you know, I'm sure that you might have listeners that can relate to that. That and some, of course, you know, which we always hope for our kids that it'd be more straight line than that. But it isn't always going to be straight line. I had to kind of figure it out the first, you know, kind of ten years in business. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's lots of stuff out there in the real world that you
1: need to see. You can't really create a course for it and learn all the background. You really need to just go out and try it and do it and see it in real life, so that Absolutely. you can you can learn it and yeah. and then maybe yeah, teach it to someone else in the future. <laughs> so, but from your, your perspective, then. Going through all this and seeing the beginnings there, Silicon Valley, and just I, I guess that perspective of people with technology becoming more and more into play. How how do you view sort of the world of work today versus then? And I then can just be <laughs> whenever whenever it sort of makes sense, but yeah. from, from you know <laughs> the beginnings of your career.
0: Yeah, so so Tandem was in particular always known. It was written up as among consistently as among the hundred best companies to work for in America. So it was, a re, it was like today people trying to get into Google or Facebook. That was Tandem then. Okay, uh, smaller by most measures, but still uh, again a Fortune two hundred company. What I what I, in that in that environment for, certainly the idea of working remotely was alien. Yeah. didn't exist yet the technology wasn't there yet right so you always you went into the office but what they did they did a couple of things one every office in tandem worldwide and i visited quite a number of them over the time i was with the company um was set up in a way that you had your cubicles but behind every cubicle wall wall was a whiteboard and they really encouraged this idea of on the fly creativity there were always rooms with full whiteboards where you could just go in with a colleague and say let's let's work on this problem. So um, there was a sense of creativity was really valued highly. And then uh, Jimmy tribig who was the, uh, again, a real veteran, anyone who really followed the venture world would know the name, um, who founded the company was the CEO for, for pretty much most of his life until it got sold, uh, he established something called Beer Bust. And so Friday evening at four o'clock in every tandem office worldwide, you had to give up your cubicle, your work, and go to the cafeteria and hang out with your colleagues. And this way, sales was hanging out with engineering, engineers hanging out with installation, et cetera, et cetera. And when things were going great, it was like catered, it was sushi, it was all of that. (laughs) When things weren't so great, it was like pizza and, and a six pack. And the point wasn't for people to get, you know, blasted or anything like that, but it was the idea that you would actually let your hair down and relax. And in fact, the culture, and this was what I learned was the power of culture. The culture was such that if you were at your work desk uh, while this was taking place, that was considered bad form. Like you, you wouldn't do that. Like the bosses didn't expect you at your desk. They expected you in the cafeteria hanging out. The other thing that's changed greatly, and so that you don't see as much. I mean, people try to duplicate that with the ping pong tables and stuff like that. But yeah. this is really, I mean, and by the way, this was a wide swath of of ages. It wasn't just youngins coming into this. I mean, in the computer business at that time, there were a lot of veterans, a lot of veteran salespeople, a lot of veteran managers, because they had come from IBM, from Unisys, from from you know all these other companies to from DEC to work at Tandem. The other thing I think that that change was an expectation that culture mattered in a real way, even though it was a very Forward-looking company trying to win a very competitive space. Culture, it was one of the early proponents of culture as a real thing. But but what I saw was that culture wasn't just lip service. It was actually something that mattered deeply to Jimmy and to other people in the leadership team. They they meant it and they walked it. So I think that that may have changed some. Um, even though people talk about culture more now than ever before, I haven't seen great examples of it yet where it really is transformative. It's more like a check-the-box kind of activity. Like, well, yeah, you got to have a culture statement and you got to talk about inclusivity and all this. But yeah. it was different then. It, it felt very organic. And to this day, people I meet who worked at Tandem, it was like the best job we all individually ever had.
1: Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. it was just through and through. That was the, the ethos of the company. It, it, it's interesting now, though, we're, we're at a certain point with the whole still pushing people back to work in, in office. That it's a bit clunky, that we're bringing people back, we're sort of mandating it. And maybe it's not five days a week, but that it's it's really, that's, you know, maybe there's a a free meal that you try to entice people with or, or something like that. But there's not, it's, it, it there's the, the deliberate, hey, we're trying to do this because of that. Is, is, it just doesn't feel supernatural right now. I feel, you know, it's just, it's just a little bit of, let's get people back to the office and then we'll figure out what our culture is. Cause everyone's culture just is really transforming, I feel yeah, like right it, now.
0: And COVID blew a lot of things up, right? Yeah. And, and not all for the bad. Some things became new capabilities. I mean, certainly from a biz dev or sales point of view, the ability to Zoom meet people, Zoom discuss things with people, do a whole deal with people, never having seen them in person, is a new superpower that allows you to leverage your team much more aggressively than ever before. Having said that, the just is something about... I know it's true. It sounds trite, but just having that moment, grabbing a cup of coffee, which doesn't look like a productive moment, but you bump yeah. into somebody and say, Hey, have you dealt with, or have you, Oh yeah, let me, I'll send that over to you. That kind of organic feel. But, but here's the other thing that allowed it to be that way. And again, I'm not, I've since moved on and, you know, life is, there's other great things that have happened since, yeah. but, but I think it's worth as an anchor thought, the, one of the big differences is this, you were not 24 seven, and so, you know, kind of like you have leaders, uh, uh, management that want people really engaged and really deeply committed to the mission. We were that, but we also knew that over the weekend, unless it was a super, super emergency, people didn't even have cell phones. So you are going to call my cell phone. You're going to call my home phone yeah. to bring me yeah. in for something. So my point is, you could go really intense because you knew there was a time where you, no one expected you to be on. And now we're expecting people literally and, you know, the drill. I mean, this has been this way for a while. Somebody drops you an email. You then 10 minutes later, get a text and then a phone call. Did you get my email? <laughs> and it's like it's like seven o'clock on Friday night. Yeah. And you am like, dude, it's seven o'clock on Friday night. I'm I'm out to dinner with my family. But nobody cares about that anymore because. You're always available. So therefore, you must be available. Yeah. And that's a stressor. And that's, I think, why people push back and say, listen, I want to I want to work from home because at least I have some right. control over my pr- because you're going to you're going to call me at home anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So like the trade off is let me at least manage some other parts of my complex life with children, child care, all that stuff a little bit more, uh, you know, a, a little bit more intentionally on my part. And I, but yet I understand and I've witnessed the power of collaboration of being in the same space. So it's it's a it's a really delicate balancing act.
1: Yeah, no, I I think we're, and we're all sort of going through that right now of trying to figure this out. I know. in like I live in, in Toronto area and it's very expensive and challenging and our public transit is terrible. And so through the pandemic, so many people left the city, they bought a house and in many cases, over an hour's commute, an hour and a half, maybe even two. And they will occasionally, you know, and even some will now tread back into the city. But it's not so bad. You're coming back maybe, you know, one day a week or something like that in right. the city. And if it's a two hour commute, fine. But I finally got that. But we're we're still sort of adjusting to it and <laughs> where you thought you had a job that people didn't care anymore about where, you know, if you're working from home or not right. now all of a sudden do. And it's, 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 you know, it's challenging. And we're in that we're sort of in that trying to figure out what is, what is work, what, Absolutely. Like, what, what part of it is our life. So I I'm curious from that that perspective, if you've learned yourself, like what is work meant for you? Why do you now do what you do in, in terms of, and, and I, it's more of a consulting capacity, but, um, in helping in helping businesses and companies and, you know, what do you get out of that today?
0: Yeah, look, I, I think there's a few thoughts, right? One, certainly it's, uh, I've been doing this now as value prop for about 18 years. So at this point, we've, we've obviously done something right because we're doing it for a long time, right? So yeah, we're, yeah. Really, we're really working, doing the work. Uh, one thing that, that I think energizes me is, because I relate, you know, I am an entrepreneur first and foremost. I relate to that. Um, I've had the corporate experiences, which I think were in, an invaluable part of my uh, development. Uh, But I love being an entrepreneur. So I relate to that greatly. So I love working with owners because I know what it is to sign the front of the paycheck and what it is to, you know, have your house on the line at times and things like that. Right. So, so, so that gives me a sense of mission that it's actually, you know, I'm not in a way, you know, it's God's work, right. You know, it's kind of like, it's, but it's important because it's, it actually involves lives. You know, I have friends that are corporate citizens, lifetime corporate citizens and, I've seen them lose jobs and six months later, they land a better job. Uh, But when I see friends who've had businesses lose the business, the recovery isn't this. I just get an, I go off unemployment, get another job. It it can be tragic. It can be like devastating, real issues, real consequences. So I have a real sense of mission in working with owners. It's not just the work of, of the technical work of figuring out their strategy, their value proposition, their marketing, their sales. Those things are manifestations of what, my 35 year career arc has allowed me to have these tools, kind of like Liam Neeson. I have a certain set of tools, you know, yeah. <laughs> that I can use, you know, for somebody's behalf. But but I am very connected to the personal side of it, like what it matters, why it matters and 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 what's at stake here. And a lot of times these owners don't have a circle, certainly not on their staff, and sometimes not even socially. Of people who understand what the pressures they deal with, I remember I had an owner I worked with that at the height of COVID, they were manufacturing. They needed to bring people in, and they had family members that almost, you know, I got a phone call late at night. But this one owner said, you know, I've just talked to, I think it was a sister-in-law or something, and she she almost just about called her a monster for keeping operations, and she said, well, listen, if I don't do this. Uh, I'll lose the business. Forty people will lose their jobs in the middle of pandemic. That's not a great kindness. And I said, no. I I, to- I told this person, I said, you're doing the re- you're taking all the precautions, but the stuff you do can't be done remotely. You literally have to have people working machines to make yeah. stuff produce, and the stuff they produced was actually an essential service, so they were allowed to operate. I said, I think you have to be as understanding as you can with your staff be as flexible as you can with those people. Like if they're a bookkeeper, maybe they don't need to be in the office. You know, those are things you can do. Right. But, but you're not doing It's, you're not, you're not doing something wrong by doing that. And they, they needed to hear that. Right. Uh, that perspective because around them, they don't have that perspective.
1: No. I mean, I, I, so I, I founded a food, food business years ago and uh, the pandemic we had to navigate, let's say, through the pandemic. Didn't work out. It ultimately, had to, to to close after you know trying a number of uh, things and a few years actually afterwards. But it was just a very, as a founder, you really it's different. It's just a different type of job. You really are all in, into it, and there's an identity part of it that it just you know sort of becomes you because it slowly I think takes over and and becomes sort of more and more present, I think, of just you know who you are and what you're trying to do. and uh, and so you know, I resonate a lot with the things that that you're saying around, you know, trying to be a trying to be a founder and trying to start something. And today, very similarly, like I'm more' I'm much more of a consultant um, <laughs> and working with with businesses. And for me, I just I really like today a lot of those elements, I can see those elements. I think there's a certain amount of, uh, I, I, I described it. it's not really, but it's sort of loneliness. Even Mm -hmm. though you're the, there's lots of people around. You've got lots of uh, call it people working for you or around you. They're not really in the same shoes to the same degree. It's very challenging to find someone who who you can really click with and resonate with who understands what you're going through. And the pandemic was tough too because it was it was new to everyone. Like it was this new 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 thing that no one really knew what the hell was going on or what was going to happen or how to deal with it. And so. It's just, you know, what, some of these times where you really need help. And I, but now today, I, I really like the variety. Like I like the variety of working with different businesses, because like you mentioned that those tools, you can now sort of think about each Inst- every every company is different, especially when you're trying to come up with a you know a, a plan to improve them. Whether it's a sales function or whatever, it's it's a bit different, right? And and it's kind of an interesting skill rather than being in the same company doing the same thing over a long period of time. And they're just different. Uh, but I do think that you know in terms of the ability to be able to do that for 18 years um, and plus and keep it going is really you know helpful. People get bored. People get you know you need things. You're trying to change things. You're trying to right evaluate and, and advance what you're, what you're trying. I've always, you know, I was always trying to do that as well. Um, sh- sh- shifting gears a bit too, as well, uh, you host a podcast. So I wanted to sort of ask you about that and, and why you do that and, and what do you feel you get out of it and, and, and really the, per- you know, what does it mean to you? And, and also, I mean, just give, give the audience a little bit of a quick, uh, what is it about?
0: Yeah, sure. So we started uh, about probably two and a half years ago at this point, a business growth on purpose, So, you know, on all the usual uh, channels of iTunes, Spotify, Google, and so on. And then on our website at valueprop.com, where I keep the the video piece of it. So we do it both ways. And of course, most people listen to it, you know, just download and listen to a podcast. So at first it was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. Maybe this is a way to meet potential partners. And it could be that. And sometimes it's worked out that way. But it got bigger as a bigger idea. And it was this. Uh, first of all, I don't know everything about everything. Newsflash, I don't know everything about everything. Right. So, and I always knew that. But, but, uh, but I think it really started becoming clear to me that there were some tremendously talented people out there that really had depth of knowledge in different areas, different things that would be interesting to the people I want to serve. And I can't serve them all. Right. And, uh, so a podcast allowed me to, bring a lot of helpful uh, information, helpful tips, helpful approaches, exposure to talented people, do all of that, you know, to what end? Well, primarily I always focus my podcast on I am serving the owner of a B2B business, typically between, you know, maybe not scratch startup, but early stage to 20, $30 million company. Now anybody could benefit because we're talking about strategy. We're talking about business growth, marketing sales. So those things are kind of evergreen and very applicable in almost any context, but that's my particular focus. So it's encouraged me greatly because I get like a mini masterclass every time I interview somebody. So I'm learning from the person who I'm interviewing. So I'm really channeling questions that I think my audience would be interested in and also questions I'm interested in learning about. So so if I'm talking to an SEO expert, I'm saying, what's going on SEO right now? without getting overly technical where it's like over people's heads, but like at a practical level, what really matters or content marketing or sales process, things like that. So I really, I get a kick out of these conversations. They're a chance for me to reach to literally masters in the world. And we've, we're getting close to episode 300. Now. The other thing is uh, I get a chance for probably about 10% of my episode, maybe a little bit more, I get a chance to speak on topics directly to the camera and just go, you know, just riff on something. And uh, I just did a series that's coming out in the next couple of weeks, answering 20 questions that business owners often have about marketing. Right. And we actually did it by compiling questions. I've been asked over time looking at my journal. And then I asked the question of chat GPT. Like what are questions business owners ask? And I compiled a list of 20 questions. Yeah. And I just went one after the other, you know, in like four episodes, just answering the question. And I think the last category is I also get to talk to owners directly on the podcast. So about another 10% of our episodes is we get actually owner operators and tell us about their story. So it something I we've actually and I'm actually very proud of the the end product. It's a it's a it's a really good podcast. That's really interesting, especially to somebody who owns and operates a business. I get a lot out of it in terms of what I learned from it, the people I meet, and the knowledge that I'm putting something out there that's really useful to the people I'm looking to serve.
1: Yeah. No, no. I think, I think that mentioned before, so that loneliness or not, that's helpful, right? Where you have a problem, you're trying to figure it out. Maybe you don't even feel like you have enough time to hire someone to solve this problem for, you just sort of need the, well, have you thought about this? And that's where you might get it out of a, a podcast. I I know I found that, you know, super helpful navigating around uh, various podcasts and, and looking at certain titles. But I, I do find, and I find this with my podcast as well, sometimes it's hard to get, to, it's hard to get down into it. It's hard to really get into the the. the you know, and it's helped. I think the more specific and unique that you can be with your podcast and saying, "Hey, these are this is very B two B focused." It's going to be for it is helpful because you can kind of cut through a lot of the the generalities and get to okay. I'm going to get very specifically down into, um, you know, this specific uh, type of topic or for this particular audience, which I think is is kind of the beauty of of podcasts and podcasting Absolutely. today, right?
0: Yeah, and it's fun. It, it's actually fun and it breaks up the day. And it, I mean, it's another <laughs> Zoom call, but but it's a different kind of Zoom call. And yes. just like we're having, you know, I love just having conversations with people. And uh, and, you know, it's I have just found it to be something I, I could see doing for a long time.
1: Do, do you see through your work common things people are missing and whether that be from a, because you have a sales marketing angle, but just from a, Hey, I am running my business. Here's what I'm trying to do. Are there, you know, and I know you do some speaking as well. Are there things that you really, Hey, does the world is missing? People are, they need to understand this common themes.
0: Oh, big one. Yeah. And actually the whole, really the, uh, kind of the foundation of the work we do is uh you know so i i told you my story early stage of my story well just fast forward and i'm going to tie the two together um this is now i guess closing in on 20 years ago around well 18 19 years ago um we had moved to the philadelphia area with an eye towards starting this business and my wife and we've been married now over 35 years right so uh thanks thanks to her graciousness and thanks to the good lord that we have a good woman in my life right so uh we married this time and so going back again about halfway through that journey and she says you know jose why don't you go back to school get that degree you didn't get you know you've done all these things why don't you do that i said well sweetheart if i need to do 10 years of night school to Uh, be able to validate what i do then we're really in deep doo-doo because i'm in the middle of it right now right like i can't wait 10 years for that so i told that story within about 30 days to a good friend of mine his name was david is david and uh and i said can you you know carolina mentioned this but you know i can't see doing that right now i just don't think that and i was still raising young kids and he said jose why why would you even think of that and i'm going like you see i knew what i was thinking he says (laughs) He says, you shouldn't be going for your for your bachelor's degree. you got to go for your MBA. And I said, David, what part of I've never gone to college did you not get, you know, that I'm going to go for uh, an advanced degree? And then he said something to me that resonated with me as an entrepreneur. And I use this often because it's such a powerful thought. He asked me one simple question. He says, have you asked? I said, what do you mean? I said, have you asked if they would consider you? I said, "Why?" Well, th- and I, I was like, "I had no words." So that week, I called uh, Wharton, Kellogg, Drexel, and Villanova, and I said, "Would you consider a very non-standard candidate for your executive MBA program?" All four engaged in conversation with me. Villanova was most excited, and they said, "Come on down. We want to talk to you." Because at that time, this is like two thousand six, two thousand seven. That time frame, most MBA students were often sponsored by their corporations so you had a lot of corporate citizens especially in executive MBA programs I would be an entrepreneur very different for them so I went through and I actually did very well and did got my MBA at Villanova and then for the better part of the last 12 years I've been teaching in the MBA program at Villanova entrepreneurial marketing so that's my journey so I'm a high school graduate with an advanced degree so there right. Skipped a step, but that's why yeah, skipped yeah. skip step. <laughs> and it's funny, my kids at the time they said, Does that mean we can skip this? And I said, No, you cannot skip that step. That is not <laughs> that's a rare don't idea. plan on that. No, <laughs> don't plan on that. You need to have like a 20-year resume before you even get that shot. And and candidly, you know, I don't know if that would ever come again or whatever, yeah. but it happened in my life. But I mentioned that to answer your question because one of the cornerstones of that uh program was systems thinking. And I'd already developed some ideas around it. I didn't know what to call it. And then I said, oh, Systems Thinking. We did five semesters of Systems Thinking. It was a wonderful cornerstone to this program. And to answer your question, what is, what is the common theme? Common theme is owners don't see their business as a system. Yeah. They see marketing as something I have to fix or sales as something I have to fix with a salesperson or let me fire that salesperson and get a new salesperson. Let me send them to Sandler Training to get them better skilled up or I need to change my marketing agency because I'm never happy or I need a new SEO firm. That's what they told me at Vistage. So I got to get an SEO firm. They never pause long enough to say, well, is that really the issue? Like, is that the central issue that your SEO is not that good? Or is it perhaps the fact that you're consistently late on delivery on your production? Maybe that's the bigger issue. Or did you have no sense of customer success what that really means to make sure that people are getting full advantage of all the things you could do for them, yeah, yeah, you know, or even is working capital your constraint. So you would otherwise do other things and you really shouldn't do that trade show this year. You should reallocate those funds in a different way. So owners not looking at their business as a system is where we start. And what I personally really dig into, take a look at the whole business. So I've been called in when they say, you know, our website's no good. Can you fix our website? And I have to say, listen, your website may suck or may not, or may be adequate to the task. I have no way of knowing that we got to look at your whole business, starting from, you know, who your real, who your customer really is, yeah. how you really differentiate what you do for that customer before we get into how does the website represent that differentiation? Like if you don't have a real differentiation, you can make your website, you can spend 50 grand on a beautiful looking website. It's not going to improve what isn't true. Right. So that's what we get at. And long-winded way to answer your question there, Greg, but I did want to give some context. So the answer is owners not looking at their business systemically or as a system is in my mind, the number one issue when a company stalls or stops growing.
1: So how does it work when you, because you mentioned five courses and learning five courses, like, how does that work, or how do they, how do you teach that? How is that a is it a, a series of components like the different types of well, systems? Well, that, that that's your what I is. went through
0: in the yeah. MBA program. So no, we, what we do we developed a a process, and actually I developed it with a mentor prior to me doing the MBA. Remember, I said I'd kind of done systems without knowing yeah. that's yeah, what we yeah, yeah. call it, right? Yeah. So something we we looked at the idea of your business as a pipe has yeah. eight major valves on that pipe. And so you could have a uh, marketing valve is wide open. So like, things should flow. Opportunity should flow to revenue easily. But if your targeting's off or your differentiation is closed, it doesn't matter how much money you spend on marketing. You'll just churn because yeah, it doesn't stand just, out. You're right. not, you're not, and so on. Right. So you can start thinking about that. So we developed a process called revenue throughput, the idea of throughput through a, through a pipe. And we first start with, helping people understand where they stand. It's like upfront snapshot. Where are you? Yep. Where's your critical path? Like what part of what valve is stuck? And how do we focus on that thing first? And you're always working kind of the critical path to get there as opposed to, Hey, we're a marketing agency. We, you need a new website. So we'll build that for you. Yeah. And yeah. which is what you're going to get from a branding or marketing firm. It could be perfectly fine. It could be, I'm sure it'll be beautiful, but it may not be, and rarely is the issue. One of the bigger issues secondarily is salesmanship, real professional selling is rare in smaller companies. The owner may have been good at it at one time, but they got bigger and now they're running the business. So they're not, and the person they have in sales is somebody promoted up from maybe operations because they're good with customers and they have no sales process, no sales awareness. Of how to actually do sales in any professional way or, or they don't even know that there is such a thing really as professional selling yeah. yet they're selling a two hundred thousand dollar machine they manufacture they should learn and right that's, that's one of the challenges so what advice would you
1: have then for young people looking for what to do whether they think they want to start a new business whether they're starting it i don't know if you have overarching advice or you could take one one in each but hey you're you're starting a business you know, you're relatively new into it. Maybe you can't afford advice and you're just trying to figure out what the business actually is. I mean, do you have sort of advice along the path of starting a business?
0: Somebody very young, let's say somebody like literally starting out in college and you know, look, this is what I tell I have uh, three kids, uh, two have gone through college and, and, and one is uh, early days, second year in school. They're all very different, but, what I've always told them, what I believe is true, is that every job, everything you do, even your own business, has a certain percentage of suck that you have to deal with. It just is,. Right? So if you own your own business, there's things like you know, um, tax returns, compliance letters, agencies you never knew existed sending you a letter that you have to yeah. do this, that or the other, <laughs> right. right? So all of that stuff, and then if you have banking relationships and then managing cash flow, payroll, et cetera. None of that stuff is fun for an owner. If your early days uh, to delegate that out is tough because it has to be done right. So you have to make sure you stay close to it. So that's the suck part. Uh, Educationally, or those people don't want to own their own business but want to have a good career, you're always going to have a boss or the boss or you're going to have the coworker from hell. Those things are there. So you have to try as much as you can to think about what do you like doing In the broader sense, rather than saying, I like this job defined as I'm doing search ads, right? Google for, you know, a ball bearing company that you may not love, but you may like the creative process of I like taking an idea and turning it into a graphic. Yeah. So you start thinking about how can that manifest? So start thinking more broadly about what you like doing. And here's the thing if you're 20 years old, I mean, I've seen 20 year olds that have laser focus, they love math, they want to be a mathematician, or they love, they know they're going to be a doctor. No doubt. They knew that from the time they were 10 years old. Fine. For most of us mortals, it's a fuzzier path to figure out what you love, what you yeah. do. But, you know, the old adage is, uh, if you if you, if you you find what you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think there's a, it's not 100% true, but it's largely a true statement. I, I do believe that. So I've always pursued my passion, what I like doing. So I wanted to start a business. I did. I wanted to learn how to do something. I did. I wanted to st- learn how to sell. I made sure people knew that from day one, took three years to get that opportunity, but they gave me the opportunity. Right. So start be, being very self-aware is the first place you start. Just what do you like? And don't think of it as a job title. Think of it as what do you like doing? What do you do easily? What would you spend all day doing if you could? Yeah. If, if money was not an object. <clears throat> now, when you move into what business to do, that's tougher because then it gets a little bit more specific. So I'd say early days, unless you're really crystal clear, is a great time to explore. Um, talking to a young man, one of my son's friends, doesn't really know what they want to do and they're undeclared. I think that's a great thing to do for a year. It gets tougher after that, but just don't pick a major because you think you have to. Because the worst thing in the world is another unhappy CPA or engineer in the world. Because <laughs> a lot of them, I know, I meet them. I, you know, they'll call themselves recovering CPAs or recovering engineers. <laughs> and <you're> like, Now <laughs> what?
1: I know, I know, I've done <laughs> done some of this.
0: I want right. to do something and else. I, look, what do I do now? And we all yeah. got to eat, right? So there is a yeah. pragmatic side. You say, well, listen, I'm not, I'm not a silver spoon kid. I can't go to six colleges and. In six years until I figure out what I want to do, I have to pick something. I get that. And we all got to work. And and 90% of us, 95% have got to work and got to make a paycheck. But don't just chase the best paycheck if it's not even remotely aligned with your passion. Because, And I know people who can do that. They compartmentalize. And they say, I don't care about my job. I'm good at it. I do it so I can enjoy my life. But, you know, that's 50, 60 hours a week of your life. You only have 168 hours a week. So that's like a lot out of your awake time to do something that you're, you know, maybe you don't hate it, but you're largely indifferent. And, uh, you know, obviously this assumes you can have some skills and so on. And I recognize that people in life, circumstances and so on. Again, my whole family generationally was like they were happy to get employment like just like be asked to do something. Yeah. Yeah. My my parents did not have existential angst over what they were doing. They just knew they had to provide for their kids. And I thank God that they were focused and committed and responsible that way. We benefited from it. They knew they wanted to prepare a better future for us. And they did their best to do that. Uh, But I think in today, in the, you know, in the North America, in the developed world, if you have the opportunity Think a little bit more broadly. Try a few other things. Don't just fall into the immediate thing that seems obvious in front of you because, you know, it's something you haven't tried. And also challenge yourself to try something you you don't think you're going to be comfortable doing. Uh, Somebody says, well, you know, we need you to make phone calls. Oh, no, I hate working the phones. I hate making calls. Well, you don't know until you try. Try it. If you hate it, you can quit. it. You know, do something different. Try some volunteer for things. You know, that may not be a job, but you could volunteer answering phones for a charity or something that you believe in. Yeah. Uh, Things like that. If you're young, if you're early stage, try different things because you don't know what's going to really stick. And you can't analytically get to that conclusion easily unless you have a burning passion for something in your heart already from childhood. Like I said, the person you're going to be a doctor. But for most of us, you got to explore Try some things out before you know what you like.
1: Yeah. No, I think, I think, and that's part of the reason that this podcast, you know, I started this podcast in the first place was that it's very challenging to know all the jobs out there. And, and it's not really about the jobs that are out there. It's about sort of how, how you go about finding yourself and putting yourself on a path so that you can find something. And there are so many people out there who I just feel like they, really love their job because they're getting something out of it. Maybe it's not, hey, I'm playing basketball and I love basketball and that's my job. It's I am doing something. I am getting better at it. I'm learning stuff. I'm being successful. People are paying me money. There's a lot of reward there. There's a lot of accomplishment. There is a lot of just pride that can come from the job and what you do. And but and finding that and being happy about it is tough. And it's not always easy. But if you start something you got again, like to your, to your, I, I'm giving a similar advice to a lot of people these days, you got to just start somewhere and, and sort of start to frame start to understand what work is and how, how to enjoy it. And, and again, like you said, there are a lot of bad parts of it that maybe you won't love but there are also a lot of real just opportunities you can get to do cool things and get paid for it which is which is cool and and I, I you know I'm curious to you know you call your uh, business value prop but I was sort of think of that too I mean you're you're basically building your own personal value proposition sure. of hey here's here's what I can do here's why people hire me because they're going to need me and kind of feeling needed. It's good, like it's nice, like that's you want that. I think that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to build some something that someone wants to hire, and you you are needed as a tool in a business.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Um. Well, it's been uh, been great to have you on the podcast. I wanted to give you a quick chance to just uh, people want to follow you, learn more about uh, you, you, your business. Uh, what's the best way?
0: Well, learn about the business. It's Value Prop v a l u e p r o p dot com and just go visit there, and you can check it out. If somebody listening to this says, well, gee, this sounds like somebody who might be able to help us with our particular situation, you can always get on my calendar. We can have a half-hour conversation, and that's easy. That's josepalomino.com. Take you right to a calendar setting, and we can have a conversation. I'm on LinkedIn, Business Growth on Purpose. My podcast is available all the necessary you know what you would think the the, the appropriate channels would be yeah, uh, but thanks for asking that question yeah and i'm happy to always happy to connect with people on linkedin and uh, happy to help if i can in any meaningful way uh somebody who needs help
1: awesome okay well jose thanks for joining me on the podcast today
0: i appreciate it Greg. thank you it's been my pleasure thanks for listening to another episode of business growth on purpose If you like the show, hit
1: subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.